ticket there Feel low, take your time Take a ticket, take the train to the end of the line See where you can go, spend it, it's plastic, no do or die Better flip it, think about it, we'll do just fine Well, these things will come and go Valentine's Day. I know that the you know the trope is that uh, wrestling fans, especially wrestling podcast hosts, are unfuckable losers who live in their parents' basement. But unfortunately, me and Quentin, uh, we both have rooms in our parents' house. We don't live in the basement. In fact, some of us have the master bedroom in the house. Um, wow. <laughs> but no, uh, you know, fucking life. Like the, the here's the double whammy for me. I had Valentine's Day sorted. I actually handled Valentine's Day on the day, unlike some people on this Skype call. Um, but the day after Valentine's Day for me is uh, my wife's birthday. So I've got the one-two punch of, of Valentine's Day and wife's birthday being back-to-back. Um, Quentin, obviously, you had the, the, the girlfriend, which I don't even know. I was shocked. Like, I even asked you, like, I didn't know you ha- even had a long-term girlfriend. So I don't even know if you want this out there in the podcast airwaves. But you had the girlfriend and the Valentine's Day date to go to as well, correct? Yeah, but dating my girlfriend for close to two years at this point it'll be it'll be two years in april um i like my our valentine stuff was done on wednesday because i had because i had work and i worked that i worked on valentine's day and that's surprisingly one of the busiest days i've seen the entire time i've been working at a grocery store yeah um yeah like i was i was super surprised by that but yeah yeah um i I always hate the idea that I'm gonna that I'm gonna wind up with somebody that has a birthday that's like aligned with a important holiday like that. Right. Like Val like Valentine's Day and then a birthday. Fucking that just sounds awful. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's it's basically the whole. Honestly, the whole month is now devoted to to that because yeah. it's her. It's Valentine's Day. It's her birthday. Within a week, it's her mom's birthday. And now I was just telling you before we started recording. And now. Uh, within a, a week after that, or you know, so it's like her birth, Valentine's Day, wife's birthday, mom's birthday within a week. 
then the week after her birthday now pretty much every year is going to be our niece's birthday um turn two this year so now it's april or what is it february is just february is already a short month and then now with so much birthday and holiday stuff to deal like february is shot for me basically at this point it's like all it's all that which is fine i mean you know i'm I was thinking about it because I was, I remember who I was thinking about. There's someone I was thinking about that was like relationship advice, you know, and, and, and talking to them about relationship advice um, as they grow up. And I, I can't remember who it was. I think it was my brother or someone I was thinking about. But it's, it's so tough for me because, you know, the, the standard relationship advice, right, is, you know, when you're in a relationship, you got to work on it. You got to work hard. You got to put effort into it. And, and you can't expect someone to be perfect. And you have to, like, you know, have, have like some, you know, standards not necessarily lowered but like not hold people to insane standards and stuff and it's it's really tough for me to like try to give that advice to people because i feel super lucky and super happy that like my relationship with my wife is perfect we've we've we've, we never fight we've like literally never had a fight the closest thing we have is we get upset and usually what ends up happening is we get upset about feeling like we may have hurt the other person's feelings so like that's what we're like we're sad about i don't feel like i've had to like you know lower my expectations in any way so it's just I don't fucking mind how much time or whatever I have to do to like give up as as I would say to like her and the family stuff, because like, I just, I feel really, really lucky to have such a a great relationship, you know? So, so yeah, February being, you know, shot for birthdays and families and all that stuff. I don't fucking care. It's great. Like, I'm yeah, yeah, you're not, you're not too upset about like, uh, gotta spend time with my wife. Like, (laughs) not upset about that. Right. Exactly. Um, but Quentin, I guess we should do the, 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 the episode name as my phone goes off. Gotta silence this thing like a professional, right? Um, I, I literally just did that as yeah. we're doing that. So, uh, so yeah, so this uh, this week, Quentin, we are sorry, not sorry, as we have the big news that uh, <laughs> Stardom, <laughs> Stardom is no longer, they are not sorry, as they have uh, lost one of their, I mean, not the, the top star of the company, but definitely, I mean, she was she was she was three like she sorry wasn't like a stardom uh regular regular by any means it was a uh, sendai she was sendai and diana and it was right. just that she was coming in to work uh stardom for that for the february show and it was gonna be it was supposed to be a, a big match between her and mayu watani that wound up getting scrapped yeah so that's canceled sendai girls already clearly like have some kind of connection to wwe basically just through mako um, mm. which like is, is clearly there. So who knows how that affects Sendai, but there was, I mean, I, we had recently, at least I had recently heard, maybe not even necessarily rumors, but at least people concerned that like the maneuvering, as you just talked about, that she had shown up in stardom and, and you know, stardom is now connected to, uh, to Bushi road, which means connections to new Japan, that there was going to be something with, with sorry, ending up in stardom regularly. And then WWE locks her down. And, uh, so that's definitely not happening. Um, which could have been, I mean, she could have ended up there, we'll say. Like I said, not, I don't know how much of a box office draw she really is because I, I don't pay attention, especially not to like Joshi business that much. But I do know that she is, it has been the Joshi who gets the most buzz as far as I can tell with Western fans who are not in the perv contingent. Western fans who watch Joshi for work rate and wrestling you know for match quality she's very very talented so her leaving or at least going to wwe is a big hit just for that kind of segment of society but you may know more than me because for the past couple years you've been paying attention to to joshi more than i have been what is how is this a hit for joshi in general and 
what are the chances that this means relatively nothing because it's a NXT Japan signing more than a actually going to Florida signing? Um, I do think Sari is more of a gearing up for for an NXT Japan thing, but the thing I want to stress about her is just like how young she is. She started. She's just now starting to get the starting to get her buzz and recognition as being one of the best Joshi wrestlers in the world, uh, based off of 2019, where I, I would say pretty handily she was the best. But you know, she she'd been around for a while. She had she had been cutting her teeth for for years before that, and started off really young, like a lot of, like a lot of go- Joshi Joshi wrestlers do. And yeah, only 23 years old, going to WWE, where their track record of uh, know how they like with how they uh what the what they let my wrestlers of color do and um just in general how crowded their crowded and bloated their women their women's roster is right now it's it's a weird move for someone like sorry who's not who's not incredibly charismatic like like a eo shirai or a Kyrie or like a Kyrie hojo is and she's not as flashy as a eo or Kyrie can be so it's just a super weird signing from that regard. So I don't, I don't know. I'm kind of thinking that it winds up being a NXT Japan thing because I just don't know how sorry, how sorry breaks through there. It's just something where I know, I know how talented she is. I know how good she is. I know that the work rate is there and I know that she can have good matches, but I just don't know what that, what that really does for her long term and it's just it's just kind of one of the, one of those what signings that suck when you see someone that's uh so young and so talented and could have been someone that was still a linchpin and uh continuing to continuing to raise the profile of the joshi scene in the wake of losing people like eo and eo and Kyrie and continue to become one of these uh uh these real uh strong foundation pieces in the 2020 joshi scene and that's just and that's just not happening and so from that standpoint, it's super disappointing. And just from another perspective, I don't know exactly what they signed Sari for if it's not NXT Japan. So I, I think I think it's kind of gearing up towards that starting sooner than people may, may, be, may be realizing. Yeah. And it is, I mean, obviously there's stuff going around, people talking about them, them uh, winding up announcing something even as soon as WrestleMania weekend, which is very possible. We'll see. Um it would be very interesting to see WWE trying to announce and put together some kind of NXT Japan that early when it feels like with how difficult the scene is to deal with and crack that something like this, like a sorry signing and, and things like this continuing to happen would be, um, would be kind of laying the groundwork that they need to probably have a little bit more time to do. As you talk about kind of strangling the development of the underneath of, of the scene is what they're, going to need to do is slowly kind of chip away really i mean basically the same pattern that they used in for nxt uk but was a lot easier to just buy all of progress roster basically uh, anyone who mattered from any promotions and then slowly now they've they've opened up the second wave as they've signed you know we talked about it a little bit but they they did a second wave of signing of even younger talents uh you know pretty deadly and candy floss come to mind people who are not even fucking fucking valkyrie or valkyrie she god she just started wrestling (laughs) like right so that you know that second wave in the uk scene destruction is like feels like that's necessary to get into that and even second third waves in japan to really start to choke off their their 
their talent moving forward. So the idea that they would announce something by WrestleMania weekend seems seems odd, seems a little bit fast for for this feels like a slow game, but we'll see. With WrestleMania next well, year being oh go ahead. Well, because I was even gonna say we talked about it. Um, might have been the last time we did a show. Is that whatever they think they're gonna do with NXT Japan, it's not gonna be the same. Like they're trying, like like they like how easy it was to get the European wrestling scene to roll over. It's it's not gonna be that. So while losing Sari kind of sucks, just as a as a as a fan, like again. I, I still don't know what the what they think they're gonna be what they think they're gonna do here with the, with this NXT Japan stuff. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it just it feels like they're gonna need again to take a lot longer time to build something like this up to uh, to make it work. So we'll see. And and California, I mean California in general, but the next WrestleMania being in LA. I mean, West Coast is not WWE territory. You know, like they they obviously since wrestling has has died. And there's nothing but WWE in in America. Like they've taken it over, but the the West Coast, even the South to some extent, but definitely like the Southwest and the West Coast has never been strongly, deeply WWE country. So, with the connection that New Japan has had with California in general, running up and down from the top to the bottom, and all that, like the idea that they're going to run WrestleMania in Los Angeles next year off the backs of this year announcing. You know that they're trying to take over Japan. I, like that could be a bad move for them because I could see next year New Japan putting full effort into trying to. You know they're not going to overshadow WrestleMania, but definitely be a big, you know, part of the of the scene and definitely be have a big impact to show that they're not just going to roll over. And and as weird as it is, like we talked about it maybe last episode that we were on, like you mentioned just a moment ago, like the, the stuff with Cyber Agent and DDT and all that being like the flag bearers for. Japanese wrestling maybe moving forward I mean for all intents and purposes like New Japan is the when it comes to the war between you know WWE and Japanese wrestling New Japan would be the flag bearer as the biggest company there at least for now until things get going so so it would that to me it feels like Wrestlemania you know two years from now or, or the Wrestlemania after next could be the big could be very important when it comes to the battle between you know WWE and Japan We'll see. We'll see what happens, you know. But very interesting, interesting story there. Um, off of that, uh, MLW contract, in, like contract uh, news in general. They're they're accusing WWE of pulling some kind of contract tampering with them. Um, weird move. I mean, at least to me, seems like ballsy move. Contract tampering historically. I mean, it's. A legal gray area in a lot of ways, but uh, but definitely something that uh, you know, just like WWE has had issues in the past with uh, non compete clause type stuff. Um, contract tampering is can also be kind of one of those gray area things when it comes to legal stuff. And for MLW, as they're seemingly we've talked about it, but or I've mentioned it, having TV more, you know, more kind of notable television uh, coming forward, trying to become maybe a player on the scene probably not the time to pick a fight with wwe um especially coming off of relatively recently it seemed like they had an okay relationship with wwe as they they kind of backed off of the um the war games ip that they had at some point they tried to make an argument and and won i mean they ran a war games match um with that branding, yeah, with the, with the same, with the, yeah, with the same war, war games branding, yeah, yeah, because they were able to prove legally that they had some kind of you know claim to that IP, 
and then they they backed away from that and and shared it without you know selling it straight out to WWE. And then at this point, it's at some point completely changed even the branding to not use the War Games branding anymore. To then now use this as like a thing to to you know pick nit about it seems odd. What do you what do you think MLW is doing here? I don't know. I guess it's sort of like the idea that they're trying to like take themselves more seriously now. I mean, if you pay attention at all to usually uh, the idea of like such and such is signed an MLW contract, it doesn't seem to hold much weight or really mean anything. It just uh, sort of sounds like someone is a uh, you know going to be used on tape, going to be used on the tapings, and you know they're going to be a reoccurring part on the, on the, on the TV. But th- those contracts really don't seem to mean much. So I'm wondering if they're in the process of maybe you know. Taking this next step with the new, with a new, with a newfound, uh, newfound backing behind them and everything that they want to have their contracts have more structure to them. That's the, that's the only thing I can think here. Other than that, that just seems like putting something out there for the sake of putting it out there. Right, and it did. It, it seemed seemed like an odd timing to to do that again. Like I said, because they've they've played nice. I mean, not just with WWE, they played nice with AEW. They were sharing talent with AEW for long term with MJF, Jimmy Havoc. Um, and there's probably some others that I'm not thinking of. Janela actually was kind of going back and forth a little bit, but a lot less than the yeah. And like again, like again, like that's sort of like where you kind of get the idea of these quote unquote MLW contracts because it's like okay, well, AEW is still letting them appear, uh, still letting these guys appear appear in all these places, but MJF has been a prominent part of Dynamite ever since Dynamite has started. And any point they could have pulled they could have pulled him from from mlw right so that just sort of tells me like the kind of priority like mlw has always been in terms of like what they're offering and like how binding their contracts actually are right and in that same conversation talk about mlw contracts two guys uh put pen to paper on mlw contracts and two guys who me and you have actually reviewed matches of in the past and talked about a little bit here and there um zach cooper an interesting one who's this feels to me like the right move for him at this stage in his career. Um, a place where he can get his name out there a little bit more and continue to build some buzz around someone who's growing and is, I think, quite good in the right settings. Um, needs to, you know, again, continue to prove himself. But he's definitely taken the time to invest in himself. He's put his face out there. He's worked hard and he's had some really good matches. Specifically, uh, you know, we've talked about matches with two matches with Daniel Makabe and another match with Thomas Shire that were both. Uh, that were both pretty good, so I think that guy's got a his, his Logan his his Logan, his Logan stunt match yes. from Sup is incredible. I really like that. Yeah, so the guy has got you know potential and can move forward. And MLW seems like a good spot for him. Another guy who's who signed up, Kevin Koo, who's got the connection there with uh, with you know what we consider tag team of the year for or tag team yeah of the year for 2019 in Violence Is Forever with Dominic Garini signed to MLW. So got a chance of seeing, you know, the 2019 tag team of the year showing up in MLW. Does that spark your interest at all to, to maybe see them moving forward with that? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, ha- I'm happy for, I'm happy for Kevin. I'm happy to see that that could be a thing that really gets put, gets pushed now. I think that, you know, from be from beyond to Black Label Pro, obviously to Sub uh, WXW bringing them up, bringing them in for the tag team festival. They at, at this point, there is such a hard to, to hard to deny team that I'm that the main thing I'm just super over the moon that Kevin is getting a chance to go out there and do stuff, and whether it is just primarily sing, um, primarily tag stuff with Dom, he's he's gonna get some singles opportunities there, and I think that there is some good stuff that I would like to see him do. I would. 
very much be interested in seeing Kevin Koo in a in a, in, a, in Tom Lawler in some sort in some sort of singles match or whatever other stuff they can come up with, come up off the top of their head like something like Kevin Koo versus Myron Reed doesn't 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 sound bad to me at all. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm very, I'm very much interested to see what they could do there, but. Tag team singles, that's a, that's a good pickup for the TV. Yeah, definitely. And Koo is a guy that you just, I mean, you just mentioned two guys who are at very different ends of the spectrum from the company, but I would even throw out some, you know, multiple other names that can be different ends of the spectrum, too. You got, like, Jacob Fatu, Kevin, and Kevin Koo sounds interesting to me. Low-key Kevin Koo. And that's just to point out the versatility of a guy like Kevin Koo, that I think he can work with big, small, top of the card, Myron Reed, like you said, bottom of the card, Coda. Uh, Coda Brazil, I don't know if they still call him that there. Snoop Strikes. Like, there's a lot of guys that Kevin Koo can have interesting matches with all over the card, which is really, you know, he's very, he's a dynamic and and uh, and versatile, adaptable wrestler. So I do I do think it's a great, he's a great signing for them. And and it's interesting because, you know, early on when I was when I was watching and reviewing MLW TV weekly, like, someone like Fred Yehai felt like a, another guy that was a perfect fit for there, and it feels like they've, you know, they just completely dropped the ball on using him as much as they could have, and I think that Kevin Kuz is another guy where I just hope that they pull something like that off and actually use him regularly. You know what I mean? Um, the other news bit that we got here from the the Core Wu, the uh, the Phantom segment producer that we have, uh, content uh, uh, provider, um, is progress changes the dates of their shows due to NXT Takeover Dublin. Um, not even in the same market, really. Obviously, it's in Ireland versus in in England, but still, I mean, they'll they'll probably have a ton of their talent pulled, so that's why it's smart. For yeah, them yeah, to, yeah, that's the yeah, that's the, that's going on there. Yeah, but goddamn, huh? <laughs> hashtag UK wrestling is dead. Hashtag uh, European wrestling is dead. It continues to live on. It's it's funny how the scene has died, but the uh, the story of how dead the scene is continues to be a talking point for for months on end at this point. Uh, yeah, what's uh, what do you have to say about this one? I mean, like, <laughs> they could have fucking <laughs> did take over Dublin any other time. Yep, they could have like, like Jesus Christ, man. Like, I mean, I don't know. That just, just like that always just shows me like that. That tells you what those guys' priorities are. Like that, like that, like that's what that's what it is. That's what all. That's what it always seems like to me, and I know that these guys don't have the final say so, and that being the three progress lads, I know that they don't have the final say so, in whatever goes on at NXT UK as far as uh, um, getting dates set up for venues and all and all that kind of stuff. Like I understand that that's not them, but the fact that like there's no there's seemingly no pushback on that kind of stuff. That hey, actually we're running a show, um, on on this day. No, we're just gonna cancel the show. Okay, yeah, fine. We 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 can we can do that instead. And this, it's just, I don't know how you could possibly care about progress, where they they're telling you what they care about more. The three people that are that were involved in progress, because uh, obviously Jim Smallman is gone now. Um, but the fact that all this is happening, it just tells you what where the priorities are for me, and it just screams like, okay, we don't really give a fuck about this thing. So I don't know why you should why you should either. Yeah, I mean it's. It's very clear it's a, a phantom promotion at this point that, I mean, barely exists. I, it's somehow, it's more of a fake promotion than NXT UK at this point. It feels like, I mean. It's, it doesn't feel, like, nothing is happening there. Like, Car Noir is the champion, and I'm like, okay? <laughs> like, yeah. like, I don't, like, I don't, like, I don't, under, I don't know, 
like they'll have, like they have shit like Kyle like Kyle Fletcher doing doing this new act over there, and they're bring they're bringing in more than hype, and they're and they have Medusa complex and heels, and I I just don't nothing nothing of it nothing about it sticks, and like even despite the fact that there's still gonna be good stuff on these cards because there's still good wrestlers around, it's just it's just a promotion where it's just like wow like. I can't imagine sitting through a whole show of this anymore. Right. And for me and you, that was our like one of our first initial initial bonding points yeah. of like wa- of watching these whole progress shows from top to bottom. We watched every single show from top to bottom. There was no skip. There was no, there was nothing like that. We watched these top to bottom shows, and yeah, I just I just can't have, I can't imagine ever being in a space to do that again, especially when they clearly just do not give a fuck. Yeah, I mean, I was. I, w- I watched all the Endeavor shows. I was one of the few fucking nerds that was probably upset that you like potential wasn't wasn't filmed, wasn't put online. Like you couldn't watch those. <laughs> I bet half the people don't even remember or know what the fuck that even is for me to even mention it. But you know, to or even fucking Endeavor, like Endeavor, because Endeavor got killed. And what what what, the, what did they do? What was that other thing they did? Uh, oh, the ah, um, oh, goddamn it! What the fuck was the name of it? It was like under the moonlight or under the moon or something weird it was a really fucking weird no i'm thinking of under the dome um uh road no, something yeah, road was, some, was it king's yeah road? something road was it king's road no not, nah, it wasn't king's road uh <laughs> nah hold on we gotta, we yeah gotta no, now we gotta look this one up but no i mean the uh, the real backstory you talked about me and you but like a real backstory that maybe people don't know because i don't know if i've ever put it out there but i got started doing wrestling podcasts because of progress i i joined up with this week in wrestling when i was doing that the first thing that i did was i messaged pete and was like hey like you know if you want to talk about progress and you want someone who actually knows anything about the promotion rather than you know people who can barely stay awake for watching the shows i've watched every progress show since the beginning and that was when he was like all right cool like start you know the first show that i reviewed wasn't a progress show but that was the whole reason why i was coming on the show was to be the person who knew about progress because he wanted to talk about it. So, you know, progress right. has always been super important to me. What was, okay, what was the name of the show? It was something road, right? Yeah, shit, hold on. Because oh, I, 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 I haven't been on demand progress in such a long time, dude. Uh, I swear it was like King's Road, dude. No, it, it, was, some, it was something road. Yeah, it That's definitely like, was. Uh, all, right, let's, all right, let's keep, let's keep talking okay, about okay. this, though, because it's like you yeah like for like for you that that was like that was like progress was the stuff i, I initially was first reviewing when i started doing when i started review, reviewing wrestling shows and all, and all that shit so for me it's just always a weird spot to sit there and look at progress and just like think wow i could not possibly care less about what the about what these guys are doing at this point right i mean and oh, go ahead. like car like car like the champ like they did a good job like they like they took a chance on something that wasn't getting that wasn't going to get picked up by a major company. No one was going to take it, and they and they did Car Noir. But somehow it just already feels like all right, that's done. Right. All right. So I found it, and this is I found it because I remember that there was a good match between T.K. Cooper and Matt Riddle. I searched it. Yeah. Progress. Freedom's Road. That was the name. Yeah, Freedom's Road. Number. And this is why I was saying under something because this is Freedom Road number five under the dome, bro. Because it was Matt Riddle was on there. Oh. Yeah, so that was why I was okay. remembering under the something. Because I remember it was under something. Yeah, either way. Um, yeah, Freedom's Road. That's what it was. And it was like, that sh- that show actually seemed like it could have been fun if it was literally being done by any other promotion. 
Um, they just gave up. They give up on fucking everything. I know. I know. I know. And they're doing like a new potential, right? They're doing like another show that's like a student show, house show only. No. Yeah. Yeah. But they keep, they keep doing this. Shit. They love. They don't fucking understand. love that stuff. But hey, you know when when I was talking about it, when we were talking about it, and we were talking about natural progression series, what can they do? And I mentioned it before, you know that like what they did with Car Noir is pretty close to what my idea would be, but which was Oku. Like, having put the title on Oku would have been, honestly, probably gotten more buzz, but where's he at now? And obviously, it's probably part of why they didn't go with it is because he wasn't going to be the guy that's friendly to just going along with the WWE stuff as he's now, you know, spoiler alert for people who don't know, but he's the Rev Pro Undisputed, you know, Cruiserweight Champion. Um, So, obviously, he's going with the Rev Pro New Japan, and that's probably the better move for him as he can continue yeah. to develop. They've they've already got him set up. I mean, with him as the Cruiserweight Champion and Osprey with the Heavyweight Championship, another spoiler. Sorry, everybody. Um, Just, come on, Tim. Yeah, you're telling, you know, they tell the story in the main event about Osprey spending seven years building his way up from a junior to the Heavyweight title, and then you've got the guy who he's already teased having, you know, some kind of competitive rivalry and Oku winning the Cruiserweight Championship on the same show. So... You got that build. You've got that investment. You've got that interesting, exciting thing. And and who knows where we go in seven years? It would be shocking if in seven years Oku is at the level that Osprey is now, right? But at least they're putting something behind someone who maybe something could happen. But progress, it's like no, there's they literally put nothing into anybody, and it doesn't feel like there's anyone who can become anything moving forward coming in this company. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just, a, it's just a shame because you like you look at it, it's like oh, okay they they did a good job here this sound this seems like this was a good move and then you're just like oh well no actually Michael Oku seems like he made up like a bandit with with this one because yeah. now RevPro after them being on look, looking like that they're on their last legs creatively they managed to get they get Osprey as the heavyweight champion now yeah so like, like it's interesting this scene is a fu- this scene is a fucking mess and like we just can't stop talking about it and it's a really fucking smart move for them because i get it from you know our our mutuals and our friends and everybody that we talk to who's upset because they go to rev pro shows or they used to go to rev pro shows and now they feel burnt out because it's like we've had a year almost two years of a champion who's never fucking there to defend the title because of new japan and I get why Zach was the guy because he was really established as that top level guy for Rev Pro even before he was showing up in New Japan, before he even was signed to New Japan. So it was like, that's why he made sense to have the championship. But right now for Rev Pro, as much as it sucks that they're going to continue to maybe have someone with limited dates because their first focus is New Japan, you've got the guy who just came off of the last year where you've you know, got entire fucking cottage industries built around saying that every one of his matches is at least four stars and he's going to be your championship in a company that lets your champion bring the title out with them. So this is a great move for Rev Pro because you talked about like issues with their booking and issues feeling like they're creatively bankrupt. They're going off the deep end. Now, now they got their champion showing up on big time shows, having matches that everyone's going to fucking cream their jeans about every, every time he goes out with their title belt around his waist. So it's a great move for them to have Osprey as, you know, check out this championship because people are going to go, go nuts for this. So it's a bummer for people who want to see their champion on their shows. I understand that, but you know, it's really good business for them. Oh, uh, you say, you say this and you mentioned Osprey winning the belt. Something that kind of goes under the radar, radar here with Osprey winning that is 
you know, Osprey won the heavyweight belt. He's not, he's no longer classified as a cruiserweight in any in any capacity here. Um, yeah, I know that's like a small that's like that's like you know that's kind of a small thing here compared to like Osprey actually winning and you know being the face of Rev Pro now and giving them such a fresh start. But you know, kind of suddenly Osprey. It is looking like he's being moved up to heavyweight. Yeah, and that, that look that's looking like that's the move. Yeah, and that's a that's a big deal. I remember that specifically from years ago from um, Adam Cole showing up in in New Japan with the ROH Championship. That I remember it was reported at the time that New Japan takes that seriously. And with them having a relationship with Rev Pro, they had a relationship with ROH. Like, if your company's heavyweight champion is coming in, they're going to treat them as a heavyweight, no matter what size they actually are they're now, you know, going to be seen as a heavyweight. Because I remember at the time people were like, Adam Cole coming into New Japan, are they going to, is he going to be a junior? And they were like, no, I mean, he's their heavyweight champion. They're going to treat him as a heavyweight. So that's it. Like he's got the heavyweight championship here in Rev Pro, and that means he's a heavyweight. I mean, you, we saw the way they treated Zach. Like they never, because Zach was primarily yeah. always the Rev Pro heavyweight champion, he was never treated as a junior in New Japan, even though in Japan he has a history of being a junior in Noah. They still were like, no, I mean, he's a heavyweight. But, but even then, I, I remember when like that when Zach coming to New Japan was first coming around, people just assumed Zach would be a junior, and I was saying like, no, Zach is not coming in to be a junior. Like, right. I don't know. I don't know what you think Zach <laughs> is at this point in his career, but if you're thinking like the hottest independent act in wrestling, and like unless you want to argue me about Matt Riddle, unless you like you're telling me the hottest independent act in the world is going to come over here and be a, and, and be a junior, like that right. that wasn't happening. Right, and you know, it, it, I, I referenced it again this week in wrestling. Around that time when he was showing up there, Pete had seen him live a couple times for the first time, and he he was calling him the touring champion. He was basically saying he was the Ric Flair of that era. You'd think that they're bringing in Ric Flair to New Japan to wrestle as a junior. I'm sorry, but no, the guy was he was the fucking guy. You know, like he was going to be treated as a big deal. Um, and that's the same thing now with with Osprey because Osprey's got the same belt that Zach had at that time, and. You know, this is a perfect transition, so unless you had anything else you want to say here, I'm going to go over to a topic that I wanted to bring up really quick. Um, no, go ahead. Which is about heavyweights, and it is an interesting thing because I heard Meltzer, you know, Dave Meltzer was listening to his podcast today, earlier on, um, and he was talking about Chris Statlander in AEW, and it was a very weird talking point that he made out of nowhere because he was getting corrected by his co-host who i don't remember the guy's name but it wasn't alvarez it was somebody else he's talking about chris statlander and he said you know chris statlander's big and the guy said oh you can't say that and then he was like oh if society's getting to the point where you can't call a girl big then we're gone down whatever and it it was made in like a pc run amok like he was doing the old man yells at cloud like pc run amok you're not allowed but it was like honestly the complete opposite the idea that you can't call talk about a woman's size or her weight is not PC run amok. That's old school. Like, oh, you don't talk. You don't ask a woman her weight. You don't ask a woman her yeah, age. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's that's actually very old school and yeah. in a way like sort of like regressive thinking. Yeah. So it's like to make the argument that like that. Oh, if you're not allowed to say something like this anymore, was the way he was saying it. And I'm like, it's actually the fucking opposite. It's like you're making the woke point, but you're doing it as if you're arguing with woke people. Like you're doing the anti woke posturing while making the woke point, which is that like women should just be spoken about the same way that you would about men. And I just want to throw my hat in the ring on that. Cause for as long as I've been doing, you know, podcasting, I've, I've talked about women's matches, men's matches, intergender matches, women wrestlers in general. And I've always tried to just use the same uniform language across the board. I know that you're the same way. I, I know we both basically see things the same way. Um, 
So we'll just say like if it's if it feels comfortable saying something about someone whatever gender they are just fucking use those terms right like that's the whole point we're trying to be inclusive here so you know chris stantlander is like a, a heavier weight you know and she's wrestling she's obviously being built to wrestle against a heavier weight person in nyla rose but it was just it was very odd to hear someone just because their frame of reference is like oh society is going down the wrong path and, and now people you can't just say things without getting in trouble automatically turns it into being like that means it's a pc you know woke scold problem when it's it's not it's actually the opposite it was very odd to me um and it just there's more of this culture war stuff that just feels like it's leaking into weird places in wrestling where i'm just like can we just like everyone try to be cool and enjoy wrestling is basically my only point here is just to say that like can we all just like say what you will as long as everyone's kind of like saying things in earnest and not being like a dick and not like intentionally just like saying things in bad faith to be rude or whatever can we all just like take each other at face value and just like try to enjoy kind of wrestling because fuck there's so many things to like worry about and like be upset about that like we should try to at least and be able to talk about wrestling without worrying about it you know this, this one's just so weird because again I've, I've, I've always viewed it the same way um historically if you just look at like a WWE a lot of the time a lot of women like scale to be around the same size like like height wise like height wise and everything so it is no it is notable and it is used in store in storyline and in canon purposes when someone is bigger than a lot than, than the rest of the roster whether you want to go and look at um look at how china was implemented or Be- or beth phoenix was implemented like like that's like that stuff even exists in actual in-company storytelling so the idea that whoever his co-host was said that you can't say that i even that i just find weird because that's a storytelling device that's even been used by pro wrestling companies and like if if you if you can look at two people and can see that they're like one is taller one is more muscular one is more tone one has bigger arms that yeah you can assume this person is stronger and has a physical advantage yes like that that just seems like basic looking at two people one-on-one you would look you would look at that the same way of two guys two guys in the gym Two guys, two guys on the basketball court, two guys on the football field, two guys in any capacity. You look at them, compare them to one another. It's like, oh, this person that this person is defending or trying to guard, this person has the has the uh, has the advantage because they seem to have the more physical capabilities to them. And I, I don't, I don't know. That that just seemed like a very weird exchange. And then the way Meltzer reacted to it is kind of muddying his point, where I don't think he made he, he didn't make a bad point there no it was weird because he was making the correct point but like i said it's like making the correct point but doing it the wrong way it's 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 the entrenchment it is politically people are so entrenched now and it, it is this culture war thing and that where it turns into like no matter what the topic is you have to like make the argument from your frame of reference rather than just like from the frame of reference of like what actually makes sense and what's just the truth so it has to be like well if i'm saying this then i have to put it in a way where it's like this is actually not just what i'm saying but it's also an attack against the people who i normally disagree with um so it's just it was it was like like look like look at statlander compared to the rest of the women's division and then look at nyla rose compared to the rest of the women's division like naturally they are two physically imposing people on the roster that like okay 
the, these two should wrestle each other because they seem like they're the strongest people on the roster. The way he was saying, the way he would sit there and build up Hulk, like Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant because Hulk Hogan is so strong and then Andre the Giant is so big. It's the, it's the same principle there, right? So yeah, that 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 that's that's strange to me. Dijak Keith Lee, like it's the same thing. Like this is a tale as old as time when it comes to pro wrestling. Is you get these you know two similarly built people and you want to see them kind of see who's the better person at whatever they have to bring. Like yeah, it was a very odd one. Um, rather than me continue to run the floor, uh, kind of go into the next segment, unless you had some other like talking point news things you wanted to talk about at all. Um, otherwise, we can do some grab bag wrestling. I really only have one match that I wanted to talk about that's happened since the last time we recorded that I wanted to talk about a little bit before we get to the main event. So, Quentin, feel free to have your time, and then you may even bring up the match that I want to talk about. Um, so... One thing that just caught that caught my eye recently is uh, the recent heel turn that Johnny Gargano did, um, turning on Tommaso Ciampa from uh, NXT Takeover Portland yes. during the Ciampa Cole title match. Oh, which and, I completely forgot. We we haven't talked about Portland Takeover, uh, but oh, I, I, I haven't watched that. I, I, I haven't watched. I haven't you didn't watched watch that the whole shit. show. Yeah, it was <laughs> fuck no. Nah. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll get to it though. I want to watch the whole thing because right. I'm, I'm trying to watch. All, I'm trying to watch all of NXT that happens this year. Yeah. Um, but I was just I saw it happen, and then I don't know just the, like the reaction that I saw from Twitter in this the this idea of long term storytelling or uh, the like yeah the idea of that these they had these plans and the work for months and now we're finally coming we're finally coming back after plan after planting the seeds. And it kind of be- it kind of begs the idea to me of like, what is long term storytelling, and like, do we use it too loosely in some regards? And that like like Gargano and Ciampa is 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 one side of this, but there's something like how people talked about the Lesnar Reigns story, um, that 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 was that was going on for a few years, and this idea that this is actually a really good long-term story that they've been doing with Lesnar and Reigns, even though these two maybe, maybe interact with each other once at once every, once every six months and then maybe a couple of times a year and then don't interact for the rest of the year and all that stuff. But that can, but that's still long-term storytelling. And a part of me is like, okay, maybe, maybe I'm a hypocrite. Maybe I'm a hypocrite because Okada and Tanahashi, I call like a great long-term story. But sometimes they'll go years without really interacting interacting with each other. But whenever they see each other, like there's like this instant like chemistry and feeling and tension. But what I what I'd always argue there is that there's some sort of like progression based off how they face each other, based off how they wrestle each other, based off their approaches to the match and how they structure it and learning and learning from previous encounters. I don't think that like Lesnar or Reigns ever learn from previous encounters with each other. It never felt like that. It never felt like that. It never conveyed that in their matches in uh, any time they interacted. And I kind of feel the same way about something that's about what we're going to get probably with Gargano and Joppa. In that I know they're going to be callback heavy and all that stuff, but, you know, what do we call long term storytelling? Is I feel like for me, the idea is that you should learn and that you should have a different approach as the story goes on. And 
then to some people it just seems like if these people see like interact with each other for a long period of time that that's long like long term storytelling when storytelling to me is about progression so like what like what like what's your uh, what's your stance there yeah i mean i think i do think that long term storytelling can be a separate thing from what you're talking about because what you're talking about is something that I relatively recently, which is funny because of like watching everything historically and so long, but like relatively recently means like within a year or so, kind of heard somewhere or read something where someone was kind of breaking down the differences between like the historical, like what people call strong style versus King's Road. And what you're talking about is like what the difference is there, especially when it comes to King's Road, which is like the idea of like his history and like adapting from match to match and things building upon themselves for to create bigger effect that's like self-referential even to like your history with with the person in that context everything that's happening and as as I talk about that and you know talk about like one person who who you know some people don't necessarily get all the buzz behind who I think is like fucking amazing at that you know King's Road style of long-term storytelling is you know Daniel Makabe right like if there's anybody I think in current wrestling who really exemplifies that style from match to match, it's him. Like when you look at the three match series with Thatcher, you look at, you know, the two, even just the two match series recently with Liza Hall, like the history making and the storytelling and the, you know, opponents adapting and growing through knowledge of each other is hugely there. And that's, that's a lot more satisfying. And so for me and for you and definitely for you watching that and appreciating that detail and especially you honestly, even more than me, because half the time I don't remember this shit. Like you're really good at picking. Um, well, I'll steal this from the, the Chapo recently referenced it, but picking the gnat shit out of the pepper when it comes to like even Okada matches and stuff where it's like noticing details and all the little things from the history that I usually flies way over my head for the most part, because I just don't. I don't have that investment in it as much, um, but you always notice it. So I think that, yeah, for you, like <laughs> 100%, the idea that people using the term long-term storytelling and you, you're thinking of like actual really good, like involved commitment where like the, the story. Yeah, like, like you actually, like you learn based yes. on how this person acted before. Where it's not <laughs> like, just like, like, like your, like your person, your personality is different. Everything else about you is different based off like this, these previous interactions. Right. It's well, it's, it's kind of almost a postmodern take on wrestling because it is, it is like looking at a narrative and let's say you read like a book and like, even like through a narrative of a story or a movie or whatever, it's like the idea that, that you can just read it and the characters don't necessarily learn as much as you do coming through the story because they are part of the story. You're observing the story. So you're having the outside, like you're looking at it from 90 feet. They're in the story. So they're not necessarily adapting and growing as dynamically in the story. But, but the reason why it makes sense to do something more like that King's Road style with the adaption in there is that wrestlers are human people <laughs> and they're not static narrative characters who only exist in the context of the narrative they are like humans that you think of as like athletes who should be growing and changing with you, the viewer at the same rate because they exist in the same reality as you. So that's why that's a lot more satisfying and makes a lot more sense to see that, that being done that way. So when, when people use the like long-term storytelling, um, you know, 
term to mean something that's like a story that continues to build upon itself, but more in the narrative structure of like a, like a one part, uh, you know, like a one part narrative. Like I said, like something like a, a movie or a book where it's like, this is the story. It goes from beginning to end. The characters exist in this narrative, but they don't necessarily exist in real time could be acceptable. But in the context of wrestling, it's like, you also have like, you know, the fourth dimension of time that you can play with in, in wrestling where there is like, the ability to adapt in real time between the characters and interplay between the characters in a way where they, they learn and grow as I'm watching that can make it a lot more satisfying. So yeah, it's like to call Gargano Ciampa a long-term story when it's like so much of it is informed by the real world happenings of injuries and like sidetracks and things that like, could add richness and depth to the story, but what WWE's structure does is they ignore all of that and still continue to tell you basically the same story with static characters who haven't grown in any way. Just like, it's just been a while since we fought each other. And that's just, I mean, from someone who looks at things, again, like at a, with a mo more realistic kind of eye, it's bullshit. <laughs> it's lazy and it's bullshit to just be like, pretend as if these guys haven't dealt with the fact that like this same story was supposed to have been the main event of the WrestleMania takeover like two years ago at this point, probably maybe even three, but because of injuries and because of a lot of other things that happened in between, it kept getting sidetracked and it never happened. And now you're finally going to get there and you just kind of wave all of that off without like playing off of it in a way that makes it more fulfilling for me as, as a fan. And if I was more invested in it than I am right now, like I would be fucking pissed, you know. So, so yeah, I, I'm I'm totally with you. But I, you know, what, you know, what, you know what it is too is that like people in the chat, we we called this Gargano heel turn for such a long time too, just because what else like what else was there possibly there for Johnny to do? He had to do something. And if you're a real, and if you're a real, you know, like you know, years back, Johnny Gargano fan, you know that Johnny Gargano is a really good heel. So. That was always a stone that had been left un that, that had been left unturned, because and and we had just been this ultimate underdog babyface. So like, on paper, I'm not I'm not very I'm not against the idea of this Gargano heel turn, but it's just McMahon is gonna feel so fucking phony. And I know the real life circumstances. I know that Champa almost had to retire. I know the struggles of him and his wife and the in the in the child in the child they now have, but. You're asking so much of me to now forget everything that Ciampa did to Johnny Gargano, and now boo Johnny Gargano because he took away because he uh took away Ciampa's opportunity to regain his championship. Like I'm supposed to just forget everything that Ciampa did to him for 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 a year, and like I I can't do that. I can't operate that way. My brain my brain doesn't go that way. So for me, that's just like a I don't know, man. But you hit the nail on the head. It starts it starts to get like insulting to call that long-term storytelling when you know that no like there's other shit that happened here that that like that's being that's being ignored it's kind of like my problem with how the second uh the second big david starvers jordan devlin match got, match got handled is that you're kind of ignoring all this other context in, the, in favor of this other story and now you call it, you're gonna call like all this long-term storytelling but while disregarding like literally half or even three fourths of what actually happened before this. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And I, it it reminds me. I can't remember who was talking about this recently, but it did make me think. I was thinking they were you know talking in terms of like um, 
the the major series is you know like the way that the way that now there's like game of thrones mad men and all of these you know tv shows and, and narrative stories that are told over the course of like seasons of a show and how narrative structure just people are just not smart enough good enough to write narrative structure that goes that long and at the time that they were talking about it it was like basically the reference was like movie they were like you know a narrative should be told within like two and a half hours at the most like that's the way that's the only thing that people can really handle creating and putting out there but even if you think about it beyond that like what i was talking about with like literature like books like novels like like telling a narrative story that's compact it's it is this it's a it's a story that's told within this set structure is really the best way to tell a story but wrestling is not built to tell stories that way anymore if you if you look back on the history of wrestling like having territories where people like physically moved in and out of them helped so that you could tell narrative structures that really had a beginning middle and end and made sense because at some point the person would just be fucking gone but Ciampa and Gargano have been dealing with each other for so goddamn long. There's so much stuff outside of just what's happening inside the ring. And the idea that they're teasing that this is going to be a loser leaves kind of match after I remember this 100% because I was fucking pissed off at the time and, and railed about it constantly. Gargano has already lost a loser leaves town match before in NXT. Gar- Gargano got, Gar- yeah, Gargano had gotten, you know, he got fired. Yeah. Was it was supposed to be his last match. He was, he was fucking gone and he's been back and it, you know, eventually I was okay with it and I just accepted it because I do think that in certain contexts you can make something like that work in wrestling. You know, you can play off of things, but you can't go to the well again. You can't, tell me that's that someone who's already lost a loser leaves town match is going to have another loser leaves town match years later if it was part of the same story arc sure i guess i could get it it's like loser leaves town match for real this time but this time you're just completely acting as if the first time didn't happen now that's completely gone and now this time well this time if he loses he'll actually be gone guys he's gonna really leave this time like no, like you said, it's already like my brain doesn't work that way, but there's even deeper to this where it's like, fuck this, like, fuck you. Like, you're literally just telling me I'm stupid and I shouldn't care about the history in the past and, like, all that matters is right in this moment. And again, like, you just present me a story where nothing else that's happened before this matters, but it's the same characters. So WWE could work on treating everything more like a like a territory and moving people around more maybe could help, but at this point, it's like they're just... Their storytelling is morally bankrupt, would be the way that I would say it. There is literally no equity built up in the idea that, like, any of these stories have any real kind of concrete meaning to where it's it's literally, like, you're just watching flashing lights and colors and none of it has any actual, like, gravitas or consequences in any way. The only only, only other thing I have to say WWE-related is, uh... <laughs> I caught the clip of... Shayna Baszler coming out and biting <laughs> Becky Lynch's neck. Yes. <laughs> I was just like, Ugh. yeah, but uh, yeah, but a but AEW, we're not gonna we're not gonna do all that blood and gut stuff. No, we're that's, be, that's beneath us. We're we're family entertainment. Even though we're gonna insinuate that this woman just took a giant chunk out of our out of our champion's neck. Was it just me or did Shayna look like she was wearing lighter foundation? Also, like they were really playing up the vampire bit. Like she was. They like tried to make her look more pale, darker hair, 
like sunken eyes. They had like makeup around her eyes to make her look like a raccoon or something. Yeah. And then she bites her, and then there's this fucking cartoony blood all pouring out of her mouth. Like, yeah, yeah, that is. And then they tried to have Becky come out the next week and and play like real like realism thing, real real realistic badass where she throws money and is like, "This is to pay for the fines that I'm about to make." And it's like. But like, like, what, like, what? what injury is that even? Yeah, number one, what injury is this? Like, what's going on? And number two, it's like, if she's trying to be real, then like, real person is like, what the fuck was that? They're not like, oh, I'm pissed off and I'm gonna fight her. You know, like, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to fight the person that just ripped the fucking yeah, out of my neck. Real person is, is not like, I'm gonna pay off my fines. Real person is like, this person needs to be banned from the sport. This person needs to be kicked out. Like, Evander Holyfield, tough as fuck. When Mike Jackson or not, Mike Tyson ripped, <laughs> it, ate his ear off, he didn't say, let me pay for the fines for what I'm gonna do to him. He said, I should have won that fight. He should have been disqualified. That's what he said, right? Like, he wasn't fucking saying like, oh, I'm gonna. I'm such a bad like you can't try to play like there's some realish edge to this after you've now gone completely off the deep end in, in cartoony level you know like this is just ridiculous that was yeah and, and, and it's even funnier now like looking at that and then like I don't know if you caught the clip but uh of Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder's yeah. fight from, from last night yeah <laughs> Tyson Fury uh is like flicking his tongue on the blood that was on the shoulder from Deontay Wilder right. and it's just like Again, like that's a real reaction that's how you like, do it. The, that people had in real yeah. time. They're like, hey, what the fuck is wrong with you? Right. <laughs> like, I mean, this like, guy. Like, not like, oh my god, I can't wait to whoop your ass because you bit a chunk out of my <laughs> neck. It's like, no, please, get this weird away from please, me. Please, no more. Yeah. And people are begging for this guy to go to WWE because he they do not want to deal with him in boxing anymore. Um, yeah. <sighs> Jesus Christ. Um, all right, well, matches wrestling that's happened that's interesting like i said there's only one match i want to talk about you tell me if you care about talking about it but ott world championship match david star versus lj cleary i feel like this is a match that we have to talk about you know like just because of do we we, we do we not talk about no this? we haven't talked about it and are you sure yeah i'm sure man we definitely have not talked about this all right, yeah, you go, you go ahead. Yeah, then. so I think the reason why we have to talk about this is because it plays into the bigger storytelling stuff. We talk about storytelling, but I mean, this is this is our thing, right? I mean, we're both into this angle. We're both into the story with David Starr as the champion. This match, I think, continues to push forward the story, and it's very. Oh yeah, hold, hold on, oh, hold on. Look, he's calling me. Yeah. yeah. You can, go, you can go right back in. All right, cool. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, this plays into, like, storyline stuff that we've been talking about constantly with with the David Starr championship reign. So, I feel like we have to at least mention it. And, and yeah, we haven't uh, haven't gotten into it on the podcast yet. I, I'm 100% sure of this at this point. Um, which seems crazy because this match has been 
out there for a while. It happened a while ago at this point. There's actually been an OTT show since then, which I haven't uh, haven't gotten a chance to watch yet. But this is which I, which, which, I, which I did which I did watch. Oh, you did. Um, you watched the newest show. Yeah, yeah. The the Star vs. the Star versus Cobb match actually is very good and it was my and it was my favorite Cobb match I've seen in a while. But you but you also. Um, but you also like that Cobb Tom Lawler match from AIW, but I, I really yeah. I really like the Star versus Cobb on that show. Well, did you watch Cobb versus uh, Lawler? Yeah, that, yeah, that was really good too. I was surprised at how at how good that it, how good yeah, that was honestly. I I haven't seen the Cobb versus Moxley match from AEW yet, so so we'll see. But it seems like Cobb is like putting together a decent year so far. He's like he's stepped it up now that he's a free agent, which is smart of him because it's contract. Yeah, he, and, he, and, and even on um. And I know they're getting off on a tangent from getting away mm-hmm. from like the Star Clary match, but uh, when I went to the, to the Free Enterprise show, it was uh, like oh, seeing yeah. like seeing Cobb seeing Cobb again for the first time in a while because last time I had seen Cobb, I think he wrestled uh, Drew Galloway on on an Evolve show. So that like this is like the first time I've seen God Cobb damn. in a long time yeah. live, and I'm like Jesus Christ, like you, like you gotta remember like the old talking point about Jeff Cobb is that you gotta see him live to get it. It's like again, like I haven't seen him live in a long time, and then saw him live, saw him live again a couple of weeks ago. I was like, yeah, like Cobb's fucking awesome. Yeah, there is something about him in in the building. I, I said that for a long time, especially being you know here in, in Southern California when people were just starting to see him, and I would say like the thing is like he's impressive on tape, but in the building, it's like what the fuck. Like this, this you know, you know, you know who was super who was super impressive other than like, um. Like the like the obvious standouts, like the Briscoes are always gonna stand out wherever yeah. they go. But like seeing Flamita and Bandito live was was fucking nuts. But I'm gonna tell you who stood out. Slex. Okay. Slex looked incredible live. Um, huh. he wrestled flip. He wrestled. He wrestled flip Gordon. And man, I Slex looked like star, like actual star. Push him immediately. Whatever you do, just make sure you understand that he is really goddamn good. Um, like Slex was like so smooth, just like project projected everything super well. He's working more heelish in a in ROH than he does than he does in MCW at this point. But I was like, just goddamn, like Slex really impressed me. Yeah, which Free Enterprise was gonna be a a, a talking point for me last week if we had recorded because I watched it. You you were there live to talk about, but yeah, Slex being a live guy is a bit surprising for me. I like him. I've always liked him, but the idea that he's better live would be interesting. I would I would like to see him. So maybe honestly, I haven't said this in a while, but maybe the next time ROH is nearby, I might go check him out cuz it seems like it's it's worthwhile. It, was, it it was a good show, man. It's it's an interesting roster. It is a very interesting roster right now from like your core guys like uh you know like like the like the Briscoes and Lethal, Marty, Flip, Gresham, uh all that stuff. And then you just have shit like Flamita and Bandito and, and Slex and Haskins and the occasional Shelly shot. Um, Adam Brooks now? And yeah, Adam, Adam Brooks, Adam Brooks coming in, Ray Orus, um, Shane Taylor being back officially. Like it's it's a weird, strange oh, I got like I got this fucking Roosh. Like like Jesus like, yeah, like Jesus Christ. Free. Like Yeah, like that like that's a that's a crazy roster that if that even if that doesn't translate to like good wrestling all the time or coherent stories or coherent booking or even coherent television like i would go just to see like yeah like we're also gonna see fucking slex and roosh on the same show yeah no exactly and uh yeah that's definitely um 
it's definitely worthwhile to check it out. But <laughs> what we're actually talking about here, or at least what I was trying to talk about, not that I fucking care that much. Um, LJ Cleary, David Starr. And again, I think that the reason why this was important to bring up was just like that this is a continuation of the story where to me it was very clear that um that uh oh also you know what i was gonna mention this and i had to see i had to just double check to make sure i was right you know what you got to see live not just talking about that you got to see roosh live you got to see roosh lose live that's like huge for yeah. free <laughs> he does not lose regularly and he definitely doesn't lose for free so the idea that you were in the building for free and saw roosh lose is pretty huge um but this was like the next step in the thing because to me, we talked about with Devlin and how, you know, Star, why the fuck is Star the baby face? Why is Devlin the heel? It doesn't make any sense. And then after that, we had the speedball match where like the crowd loves speedball, but like realistically, you know, he's not a super. Star, Star, can, Star can do no wrong. Yeah, Star is like, but this match, like. The crowd was pretty split and pretty, I mean, I wouldn't even say split. I would say there was, um, we'll say like a major, not a majority, but let's say a plurality of the crowd was very strongly behind LJ Cleary. And then there was, you know, the other half of the crowd that was, you know, very into David Starr. And then probably, you know, a group of undecided people that were like, you know, whatever they like both guys but this was at a, since star has won the championship from devlin this was the first time that star not only wrestled like a heel but felt like he got a pretty heelish reaction from the crowd not just in the match but even in the entrances so again this is like as the story progresses that you see that david star working against the people that the irish fans still are connected to or still feel connected to at the moment um, are on their side but then at the end he does exactly what i said was the whole thing with the david star is he cuts a promo at the end where he's using these like you know indoctrinating zealotous terms and phrases to to get the crowd back on his side after he's won because he cuts the post-match promo and starts he's doing the like not me us not me us thing and like the crowd gets behind him after the match is over with so i feel like this storyline continues to be exactly what i think it is where the crowd the crowd understands at some level that David Starr is a bad guy, but they can't help but get whipped into a frenzy when he talks. So when it's in the context of the wrestling, they were on the side of LJ Cleary. And in the context of the match, LJ Cleary was clearly the young babyface getting bullied and Starr was taking liberties with him. You know, not in a shoot sense, but in the context of the match, Starr was being aggressive and gritty and violent in a way that was not called for. And LJ Cleary was standing up and, and standing his ground and fighting back. Um, so, yeah, I found that very interesting. I would love to hear your take on it from someone who comes at this on the other side where you're not really enjoying the star, star character. Um, it, I, 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 it's a good match. It's, it's the best star match I've still seen this year so far, I think. But for me, it, it, still, didn't, it still didn't really answer a lot of the questions i don't think i think it got clearer but still you're you have lj in the post match he, he sees right through star he's the only one that that is that is that is saw right through this guy uh the other the other young trainees are all infatuated with star most of the audience is still infatuated with him 
when LJ is the only one that says no, like you are not for us. You're not. You are not here for us. This is all just to prop you up. This is all selfish. And you know, may, like maybe like I, I still think they're doing. Like I still think you're right. Like there's still like very much leaning towards a heel thing, but something like the ending there where he th- he acts like he's gonna hit LJ, um, like the same way he did Speedball and Devlin. And he just doesn't. He just gives him a smarmy little thumbs up and then gets carried out by the ring crew. And I, I, I don't know, man. I think I'm more interested in it, more more interested in it now after seeing it with LJ more than I was after seeing it versus Speedball just because I thought that one, like, that one just really fucking annoyed me and how the crowd reacted to that one and how easily they were they were swung over back to Star's side after his promo where he just laid out Speedball for no fucking reason at all. But... Yeah, man, this is still weird. It's still in like these uh, in this early stage of it where, like, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what you want me to hear, what, what, what you want from me here, what you want me to say, and I guess it's still one of those oh, like open to interpretation, quote unquote things. But now with Moxley coming in to face Star uh, at Scrapper Mania and Star and Star in his promo announcing who his apparent opponent was going to be, he's he's framing it as. Star being the real independent and Moxley being like the fake independent, the sort of uh, you know champagne, you know, like, like, like the champagne socialist and everything yes. that, you, that you mentioned before, of you know Mox does all this stuff in the name of you know freedom and create and create and creative integrity just to go sign with another billion dollar back company. So you know I I don't know what to, I don't know what to expect from that. I don't know what to expect from Star at this point. And for some people, that might be interesting because you're just like, man, like, what the fuck is David Starr going to do at this point? But, like, I don't know. I kind of I miss when he was a reliable, good match guy. And, you know, it feels like that's kind of gotten lost in what he's been doing this year so far. But this, but the LJ match was really good, I thought. The LJ match was very good. And LJ, I do, on top of the kind of meta stuff that I was talking about with this match, I am very appreciative of LJ clearly being defined as the the guy when it comes to the more than hype crew like the, i don't yes. think there's any question now that lj is it and it's very funny because from the beginning he was the one that stood out to me but early on he stood out to me in a bad way where i was like he seems like a joke compared to the other two in the group and now it's like actually like there's a charisma there he's developed it to where he's gone from feeling like a joke out of the three to being he still stands out, but he stands out in a positive way, um, which is fantastic. So that's, I mean, great, and continuing to see that. Um, but like you talked about with Star, I mean, no longer being the confirmed 100% always you know, going to be, without a question, great match guy, it does kind of go like, how much of that is because the scene is depleted? How much of that is because... Like, who's he Who's he really wrestling, you know? And, and I don't know how much Star needs people that he's very comfortable and familiar with to have great matches with, which is kind of a bummer, but it is kind of like, you know, when 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 was the last time that Star wrestled someone that he, like, knows super well? It was, like, probably the Devlin match. And then since then, has he had a lot of great matches? Like, probably not. We'll see. I mean... We'll see as the year continues on, but it does feel like he's really he's run out of people to play with to have these great matches like he used to have. And and unfortunately I think with his style, he like needs people he feels somewhat comfortable with to be able to have great matches. We'll 
We'll see. Especially what he wants. Especially what he wants to be now. Like he's, you know, he's he's one of the elder statesmen now. He's one of the guys that has like the liberties and the and the freedom to do to do whatever he wants in the, in these companies. And you know, sometimes you know that's a little bit too much power for David Starr, as we see him go way too long with guys that he doesn't need to go long with. You know, the, despite how much I like this LJ Cleary match, why is he going nearly thirty with LJ? Right. Why is he going? Why is he going so long with with Blake Christian and, Pro, and Project Monix? Why Why are these things happening? So, like, like that's that's the one thing about Star that has been like a I don't know. Like, I guess he's realizing what his status is right now as one of the guys in the independent scene. And while sometimes I think he can rein that in to something more cohesive, I just think in the U.S. he hasn't done that well. And then. Even when he does it, somewhat does does it well in a in Ireland versus LJ. Still, like damn, like you still don't need to go thirty minutes with this dude, right? And it is, I mean, he's having weird stuff. Rev Pro doing this thing where they're like teaming him up with um with a No Fun Done, and he's like part of the no, Anti Fun Police is weird because it is like that was a big part of his resume for the past couple of years was the the quality of stuff that he was putting out in Rev Pro, even if his matches weren't always the best, like. He was doing great promo stuff mixed with, like, solid matches. So to have that kind of now hands tied behind his back and, and really staddled with, like, a comedy-ish character. You talked about the stuff, but the stuff in IWA, like, was good. Uh, obviously, the Monarchs match, I, I liked a lot more than the, the Blake Christian match. But it was long, and it was, like, a little bit self-indulgent. And it did feel like a guy who's trying really hard to make stars, you know, in some ways. And I think that... Uh, Unfortunately, like it didn't, isn't great. Didn't work out exactly how he probably wanted it to. So now with this amount of freedom, again, this like kind of comes back to what I'm saying. Like having someone like Walter Saber, um, trying to even think of like who else, you know, Devlin as well, somewhat like guys who he didn't necessarily feel like he had the same amount of freedom with to kind of just do whatever he wanted. You know, uh, even having like. Someone like a Chris Hero on the card with him because because he, because he was the because he was the lesser guy at that yeah. point. Yeah, he was like he had he had guys that were his that were his betters. Yeah. guys that had high, that had had higher stature than him, and you know it's not that he's not talented enough to be that tippy top guy, but now he's in a point where now David Starr has all that creative freedom. And look, years back, I I wasn't I was not a David Starr fan. Even back in 2016, I was apprehensive on jumping on the Dave Starr's really good bandwagon. A lot of it being, I understand what Dave Starr's influences are. And Dave Starr was very much an amalgamation of guys like CM Punk and Adam Cole and a little bit of Kevin Steen. And then he's very much influenced by Shawn Michaels. Yeah. And he was able he was able to hide that in a lot of ways, being like an undercard guy or being like the lesser guy or being like the... Uh, scrappy underdog or the dickhead heel where his where it wasn't like so much being asked of him now when this guy gets the full creative freedom to do whatever the fuck he wants i'm sorry that's the same like that's the same worries i've always had about this guy right in i i don't i don't know man as much as i always want i'm really interested in david star i want to watch david star for, for all this with all this being said i still think i've seen every david star match that's uh that's made it or that's made it online in 2020 so far but I, I don't know, man. I, I'm really concerned about this guy, just like, ha- like him having the stature that he does now. Yeah, and and the, the three people that you referenced there, which you know, Punk, Steen, and Michaels, are all 
guys that at their best were outsiders. They were the guys who were flamethrowers throwing bricks at the castle, right? And that's what, as you talk about, that's what kind of makes it work. Like, that's why David Starr was so much better in those roles, the underneath guy. Even cutting promos, like, you think about the wrestling promos in AAW, where he's like, I said that super weird, AAW. That is that's I feel like I never fucking say the name of that promotion out loud. That's so weird. Either way, um, <laughs> like even there as like an underneath guy talking shit, like he never felt like he was endorsed by the promotion. He was always the outsider, again, taking shots, throwing bricks, you know, and setting fire, being the flamethrower. And that's where he's the best. And then now when he is the establishment and he's the guy, it's just like his politics, really. When you talk about his politics, you know, as being a socialist and coming from the outside, some people just don't work when they're in the majority. Some people don't make that transition from being the outsider to being the mainstream super well. And unfortunately I'm, I'm not writing him off completely, but right now star is feeling like the guy who needs to figure out what it means to be the guy. And not just be the outsider, the flamethrower, the person who can talk shit from the outside. Now he's got to be the guy on the inside. Now he has to be the man. And can he make that work? We'll see. It's it's really easy to... to it's kind of sometimes easier to be the outsider. Because you get a lot more... There's no, there, there's no, there's no expectations on it. Right, and you get a lot more kind of goodwill from people who are on the same level with you and feel equal to you. Because they're on the outside too, it's really hard to get people watching you to appreciate you when you're above them in some way, or you're seen as the man and they're beneath you because you're the top guy. You know, so so now he has to be able to somehow get people to buy into him and and like him, while also being like the establishment, which is tough. It's really fucking tough. All right, I guess we're ready to move on to, I guess, the de facto main event here, the main right? main event, yeah, unless you want to talk about NXT and AEW from the last week at all. I, I don't have much. I, 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 I haven't gotten a chance to see those yet. I'm okay. definitely going to. Um, the, 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 the Cody-Wardlow match was definitely something I had circled just because they've uh, done a really interesting job protecting Wardlow, and Cody has, Cody's been good, man. He's been, he's been good yeah. this entire AEW run. Yeah. So... I, I was excited to see that. So every, everything, I'll get to that. I think they said they did. Jo- I think this Jordan Devlin versus Leo Rush happened too. So yeah, like, which was good. All, all, all yeah. So I'll, I'll get around to all. I'll get around to all of that. But uh, I guess let's yeah. Right now, let's talk about action. Let's do it. A promotion we I haven't talked about in a while. I don't know if we've talked about it on the show in a while, if at all. Really, um, have we had Matt on the podcast here? No, I don't think so. No, no, no only only Dylan. Yeah, only Dylan uh, so far. But. Uh, but yeah, we get action wrestling. Um, usually, they just number the shows. The only like title I could find for this episode, this show was you know twenty five thousand dollars versus hair match, which is the big main event. Um, but action wrestling sometimes sometimes they have shows like action for the kids, action for the troops, action whatever, which I like. I like the way that action does a similar vibe to us, where it's like they don't necessarily put the title of the show out there uh, super well. Um, Maybe we stole that mm. from Matt. Either way, show opens up with something <laughs> that uh, that I think I've been fucking begging for for a long time for more promotions to do this, which is let O'Shea Edwards talk. And uh, it did not disappoint. 
O'Shea cuts this fucking phenomenal promo against Suge D. Suge D, a guy who's, you know, um, Sugar Dunkerton for the uninitiated. Uh, was it Special Dark? He, 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 he might be more known as Suge D at this right? point. Right. He's been Suge D for so fucking long that people may... There might be people out there who don't remember that he's the guy who did the hurricane runoff, the basketball hoop. Um, you know, like, he is the the he was in the tag team i can't remember the name of the tag team but he was in the the sports tag team with uh angelus setti um mr touchdown back in the day he was part of the the sports team with uh uh also god damn it now uh, now i'm forgetting dasher hatfield sugar, sugar dunkerton and uh mr touchdown long long time ago um for us old heads right but uh but now he's been suge d um is special dark suge d He's been wrestling a lot in in England. He's been spending a lot of time in England, um, and he's back here. And yeah, this promo that uh, that O'Shea Edwards cuts is phenomenal. Like O'Shea is a phenomenal promo. I don't know if you agree with me on that, but I I think O'Shea is such a good promo that like more places need to just let him talk and do his thing because he's so he's so good at being real. And one thing that I'll I'll say for him as like you know as a white man i'll just put it out there like o'shea cuts promos in a way that like i think is really accessible for anyone and it's not like you know i hate to even say this but some people like some people cut promos and then like race can feel like it's part of it and o'shea that doesn't feel like it's part of it at all like honestly he's just a great promo it doesn't matter like there's no like you know preacher voice or any of that weird shit that people can get caught up with in like a black man's promo like his promos are just phenomenal and really really fucking good yeah i, I think that i think that o'shea is the i've always agree i always agree with you that i want i wish he would talk more i kind of like him i kind of like the idea of him as a silent badass but then you hear him actually talk and how convincing he is and just in general not having so not having too many great promos around on in, in this um in this current indie landscape that, yeah, like O'Shea definitely, excuse me, definitely stands out, but he kind of gets lumped into the typical badass, quiet big man role. And I'm hoping that 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 changes a little bit more here. And yeah, I, I don't know. I thought I thought O'Shea looked phenomenal here. I thought I thought I thought Shug D, uh, Shug D, someone I always thought that was was good and everything. But O'Shea and I, you know, we're obviously we're very familiar with them. But I thought O'Shea looked phenomenal and one of the things i kept thinking of is like man I, I i get it that ring of honor is a fucking mess and everything and i don't even know if he's still part of ring of honor or still in the school or what's going what's going on with him at this point but it is wild to me that no one has has picked up o'shea yeah it's very it's very wild to me in a landscape where you have people calling out a you know aew for not having enough top guys who are people of color the idea that yeah that someone like O'Shea Edwards is not snapped up and I hate to even say something like that to say like he should be a diversity hire because he shouldn't my point is like he's so fucking good that you should already be signing him on top of the fact that like he really helps you from an optics standpoint like it's just it's mismanagement it really is because this guy should already be signed no matter what and the idea also right. that, that ROH signed him or whatever the fuck they did with him where it's like he's part of the school is a joke this guy doesn't need to be in the school in any way and you talked about it here this match he's going up against a guy that has this whole like i'm a great wrestler resurgence thing because he's been allowed to show off what he can do in england and so more and more places are letting him wrestle in america as well 
He's good. Sugar Dunkerton, solid pro. No one's, I don't think anyone can really argue with that unless, again, they've all they've ever seen is, like, this one gif of him doing a hurricane run off a basketball hoop. And that's all you know about, you know, Shug D. But, like, he's a solid wrestler. He can definitely bring it. He's got a lot of personality. He's got charisma. He can bump. He can feed. He can sell. He can also work on top. He can work a limb. He can do holds. He can do all of that. But you mentioned it. O'Shea looks like he's outclassing him. His selling is through the roof for a big man. His power spots are all flawless. His comebacks look great. Like, he's so fucking good that the idea that you bring him in under the guise of that he needs training, it just makes it very clear that you're out to lunch. And yeah, so I'm with you. He looked phenomenal here. He should be snapped up instantly in this kind of landscape that we have. We're on top of the fact that you want stars who can, who can carry programs on the mic as well as in ring, as well as being like a diversity hire or whatever. Like, it's criminal that no one has picked up O'Shea Edwards at this point because he is a guy that should be definitely signed. But we also live in the... Yeah, it, 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 I was just going to say, just looking at him, and O'Shea is a guy that just rap, is like a rapidly improving guy. Right. Is that just like from the last time I saw I saw O'Shea and then looking at him, I was like, yeah, like, did O'Shea get better? Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, Jesus Christ. So like, I, I don't even know what the, what the final version of O'Shea Edwards looks like, but... He's always a guy that just impresses me with like how much like he gets better every time out. Right. And then the whole, uh, this isn't even my final version joke is something that he would appreciate because he is a big, uh, anime fan. So he would, yeah. he would definitely get that. Um, follow that up. Eel O'Neill versus Nolan Edwards. Uh, Nolan Edwards, a guy that we've talked about a little bit here. I think at least two matches. Um, in yeah. the, I saw him in the GCW having a death match. We saw him in, uh, uh, Sup having a little bit more technical match, a little bit more mat based match with uh, Lee Morardi. Here he's going up against uh, possibly a younger uh, wrestler, a wrestler who's not as experienced as him in Eel O'Neill. Yeah, at, at, at least look newer. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so to me, Nolan Edwards is a guy so far who's he's on the come up for sure, but seems a little bit. Maybe maybe he's a little like secret one of these secret diamond in the rough type guys that people don't realize how good he is because he he served his role really where really well here the arm selling stuff was great the fact that he comes in pretty much cold to this crowd and and gets huge babyface reactions instantly which again we'll we will say that like or we have to, I have to just be honest and say that like the action crowd is relatively easy you know the action crowd is great and it is because they have so many kids there they do a great job of bringing out a really like invested crowd of, of especially with a lot of children who get amped and into stuff. But even still coming in cold, you're not necessarily always going to get that kind of reaction. And he does a great job coming in here cold. Uh, he's got the heels going up against him. He's got, he's going up against a wrestler who seems a lot less uh, experiences him. Who's got all the, the got all the, uh, the managers with him. And at the end of the, at the end of the match, the crowd is going nutty for, for Edwards. So again, I say Edwards might be one of these diamond in the rough guys, which we'll get to one later too. Um, who's a, who's a guy who's quickly becoming, I think not necessarily even a diamond in the rough, but like starting to become more polished, but action wrestling, the, the hell's verse, which includes, you know, like sup and SCI and all that are, have been doing a great job of picking out these guys and, and actually getting behind them somewhat. Like, 
the Leo Moriarty match with uh, Edwards, I think me and you both enjoyed, but I think that some people may have thought was a little shakier. Even I would say that I think you enjoyed it more than me, and I thought it was a little shakier. But the idea that you don't just cut bait and like stop using a guy because of something like that, and you keep giving him chances, is 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 probably smart, especially when you have someone who turns around and delivers like this for you. Yeah, you know, like that's what you have to do when you want to develop talent. You can't just like cut bait if you if you saw a couple spots that you didn't like, and there and there definitely wasn't and there definitely wasn't enough of that in the Lee Moriarty match to to, to justify something to, to justify something like that. Uh, yeah, I, I like Nolan a lot, man. I re, I really do. I enjoy I enjoy I enjoy him every time I see him, and I think I think Lee Moriarty, someone that's he's probably gonna be. Uh, Link to for a little bit, especially if they get to do a little touring match, touring match thing, which I think their style could easily be. I think those two will probably be linked for a long time, and Lee's probably going to be be the guy that everyone latches onto as a uh, their fate, their favorite, or the guy that's going to be the best or the or the big star or whatever. I think Nolan might actually be more versatile than him. Yeah. Um. So I he can he can play heel he can be he can be babyface here you saw him do you saw him in GCW and or I actually I think I, I remembered I it wasn't GCW it was like a IWA or something but it was yeah it was like a death okay. match adjacent match with um uh ah oh, fuck whatever it doesn't matter keep going yes and he's he's a guy that can do a lot for you so he might not have the same ceiling as Lee but I think he's probably the more the more over overall uh utility player and yet Elo Neal for for what was asked of him I thought I thought he looked good here but there's another one of those things and maybe like a common like a common theme for the show is that the guys that you expect to look good in certain spots the guys that are on the rise the guys that have some sort of like buzz next to their names they came out and and delivered on this show yeah no definitely and there was there was definitely a lot of uh a lot to come out of this positive on so from this they transitioned seamlessly into the the next tag match, which actually it's funny because this was the point where I was going to uh, to bring up what they did. What they did special here is they had like some uh, pre match graphics for all the matches, but this next match they didn't because they did the the cool like seamless transition from one match to the next where we get into the tag match um, with uh, Keller and uh, Frazier versus uh, Flacco and um, Craven. And uh, I'll let you start this one out. What did you think of the tag match here? I thought this, I thought this was fun, man. I mean, one thing, red red Mexicans is I, I, don't, I don't know how I feel how I feel about that name, but um, <laughs> it works, I guess. But yeah, yeah, but um, I, I, it was it was, I, I really I really like those two as a team. Now I really like I really like Flacco and uh, Cameron Cameron Kane together as a team, and I want to see like more more sustained stuff from them and. Yeah, the heel the heel team here was fun, but again, it's sort of one with the idea that I get from the from this whole action show is that the younger people that have or the newer people that have been working their way up through action or just like through the region through the area that are now getting chances to do stuff and now like you kind of have like expectations of them. It's like yeah, I expect more from Bobby Bobby Flacco after that Curtis Stallion match, and since then I I'm still really impressed. But every time I, I every time I get to see the guy. Yeah, well, when you said that, you know, you like that team, I was kind of, in my head, it popped in. I was like, I really like Flacco. I've liked Flacco for a while, and I think he continues to really impress me with what he's doing. Do I think he's like a top, top, tippy-tip top, top guy? Not for every promotion, but I think that there's places where he could be. He can definitely be your solid, strong, babyface 
you know champion at a, at a smaller regional indie promotion that like the crowds will get behind him but he's also like a guy that you can put pretty much anywhere on the card he's gonna get a pop the crowd's gonna get into him he's not he's not just a spot filler you know he's more than that because he's a guy who the crowd connects to and the crowd likes and he definitely has a spark there and something there and yeah him and, and him and craven working as a tag team i love i really always love like a a baby face who has those connections to people you know and and that's something that flacco i think does really well is that like there's people where he he could have one match tagging with someone and then you feel that camaraderie and that connection between them because he does have that he's got that vibe like you know as soon as if he interacts with someone it feels like you remember it and that's that's a great thing to have especially as a baby face to me because again like it, it comes back to it where later on you can you can play off of that when he's down in the gutters and he needs someone to help him you know you can bring whoever out and be like remember you know and that guy will just instantly connect and you'll be like yeah like that guy's got his back because i remember when they tagged together because you know that means you know that meant something and that's like that's not something that everyone can do and he definitely pulls that off where it's like anyone who interacts with him you you instantly get that connection which is it's really important coming down the line so this is where I'll bring up the the match title cards. In between matches, they did this this interesting little graphics where they were like covering up probably for the entrances or something. But but this is semi new to action. I haven't seen it before. I don't know if you've seen it before, but they're like doing little like promo photos and the names of who's in the match. What did you think about these? Yeah, I I, I was very I was very interested in that just because we've seen action from the very from the like from I guess from their humble from their humble beginnings and everything in seeing how stuff started out for uh, started out for them and i was like okay like that's interesting that's new that's unique and i'm glad that they're that they're at a point now where something like that like because the end ring speaks for itself so much with action at this point where that's not that's never a concern that you can't th- throw something like that out there it's like oh shit like now they're doing this and it feels like they're taking like necessary steps as to where like now they're like the production's taking leaps too even if the production has never been bad ever on action either right. But, hey, you talked about it from the humble beginnings. We go into this match, and it's team action, which is le- led by the the first motherfucker that we saw in an action ring. The first person to open up the first action show in AC Mack. Mr. Action Wrestling, really, um, comes out with his team of his fellow action wrestlers, his fellow action uh, compatriots in team action versus team sup with Alan Angels and Sean Dean, both guys who like Alan Angels was a heel, at least to, as far as I was concerned for a very long time in action he felt like an established heel he's had a babyface turn um, Sean Dean, a guy who we've really only seen in action as a competitor to AC Mack, but he shows up here and he's teaming up with him it really felt like it put over the kind of gravitas of that this is the home promotion going up against you know outsiders invading, and you've got people two people who i really think of as heels and one guy who i've never you've only really seen him wrestling you know ac mac in the company and they're here to defend action up against the uh, the sup the sup team which has got to you know brett ice and jaden newman and uh kevin koo um hey two out of three ain't bad you know um <laughs> but i think i actually like jaden more than than some more than people that I may be on this this call with, I don't. I don't actually don't. No, I, no, I, I, I like Jaden. Okay. It's just that he when he had that um, fuck that fucking match with Tuan Tucker, and he kept throwing those shitty ass strikes. Right. <laughs> like, 
Like, like that was bad. But other than that, I like Jaden. Okay, okay. Because I know that some people don't really like Jaden or don't really get him or whatever it is. I've always been pretty, pretty cool with him. I think that Jaden's a better babyface than a heel. Um, so in here, he's a heel. Yes, yeah, I, 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 I'd agree yeah, with that. And he's wrestling with two solid heels um, as his partners, and we get, you know, a pretty wild, hate-filled, brawling trios that doesn't ever really leave the confines of a wrestling match, which I think is definitely very smart in a setting like this because it really feels like you're still in the infantile stages of setting up this feud and it would be very interesting it would be very easy to make this into like a big brawl with crazy all over the place blood and guts and action and all that but they don't they keep it relatively tame as you continue to build heat having the the heel team the invaders go over um coming out of it with uh and especially you're not just having the heel team go over but you're having the main heel from the bad guy group go over your main kind of star Mr. Action Wrestling as far as I'm concerned and AC Mack going down to uh, I guess it's now Street Justice <laughs> I don't know he goes the Kamagoye I think is now being called Street Justice rather than the um, Praying Mantis Bomb and uh, come out of it expecting hoping wanting more and in a weird way you like get the post match where you get the heat back by putting even more sympathy on AC Mack as he seems coming out of it like his bell has been rung. You've got the owner of the company in uh, in Matt um, coming up to him on the apron, talking to him, making sure that he's okay. It's a very interesting way to go because it really does feel like you're not just building up heat on the heels, but you're also even building up sympathy on the on the the babyface team. And I think that you have to because these babyfaces, like I said, AC Mack, Allen Angels are both like hated heels for so long that you got to put a lot of sympathy on them to make the crowd get invested in them and and them getting their cup offense on the heels uh what did you think coming out of the match oh no you're, to- you're totally right there is that like ac mac is defined by his heelness um and i and i get it like he hasn't always but he hasn't always been that but just like that's where he rose so prominently that it's it, you you need to put in you need to put forth the effort in order to like really say like get across like no this guy is a babyface now you can cheer him it's okay you are meant to love him now and yeah like that's what you need to do here he shouldn't just be taking a loss he needs to look like he's fucked up look like he can't stand look like he can't walk on walk under his own power and get and get sympathy on that so I think you are totally right pointing that out and I know me and you initially were both kind of like bullish on what on, on this whole uh, Georgia versus Tennessee thing that they had going on. But, but I think after this, I was, I was more into it. I, I really like the idea here, especially if you are going to get uh, maybe like better atmospheres now that you're getting more sympathy on AC, Mac, Allen Angels, and, and Sean Dean, and getting more uh, heel hatred towards the, towards the, towards the, ten, the Tennessee contingent. And I, I, I didn't know exactly what to expect from this or where this was going to go, but I'm more into the uh, this whole storyline now more than I was going into it, which obviously is the intention there that you want that I want to see where this thing goes now. Yeah, and continuing to build this forward, it does seem like they they're doing a really great job of laying groundwork and making this seem like a big deal. So where or whatever we end up with the blow off match, if it's a singles match or if it's a big multi person match or whatever it is, like I feel like you can have a lot of emotional investment and get into it and and this is something an action has historically done this which i you know historically is a very funny term to use about a company that's been around for so short but like 
action does not shy away from telling very long-term stories that like the booking of the story has a lot to it and takes a while to get there and i really appreciate that because something like this if it continues to build i think we can get to a point where like i'm i'm really emotionally invested and and by the finish of it i'm like really 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 into it you know um so yeah hopefully hopefully we get there and we continue to watch these steps and and action has had so many issues when it comes to like booking and travel and snow and weather and everything that like they do such a great job with it it's just like god i hope that we get there i really do hope that we 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 get to the the finish of the story because so far i'm i'm invested i'm into it all right, this this one I was uh, when you look at the show on paper, I'm like, okay, well, this is obviously like the like a, like one of the bigger matches on the card, yes. and you know, I don't think I don't think that's disappointed. Uh, Manders versus JD Drake. Uh, one one for spoiler spoilers if you haven't seen this yet. I didn't expect Manders to get the win here, but I like you know this Manders didn't feel out of place. I was really impressed with Manders here against the guy in JD Drake. Where, like, in other situations, um, I feel like he's let me down when he's supposed to be, like, the uh, the veteran the veteran guy helping elevate the the newer young hoss. I feel like he's let me, he's let me down in spots like that. And I don't I don't think I felt that way here with uh, with, with Drake with Drake before Drake's performance here. I thought he gave Manders exactly what he needed, and it felt like a credible uh, notch on Manders' belt. Yeah, no, he definitely he definitely helped build him up before you know letting himself get knocked down, which I thought was done really well. Um, and interesting stuff with it. Like you said, what do you expect to have coming out of this? Because you're seeing stuff online and social media. And this is again, like weird kind of outside the realm of the story you're being told in the ring. It's meta narrative stuff that only like extremely online internet fans get. But at this point, who's not on the internet, right? But in the building, you think it's a bunch of kids, but you've got, you know, Anthony Henry posting weird, cryptic tweets talking about how he's done with evolve and all this stuff and and one thing i meant to talk about earlier when we were talking about you know tag team of the year 2019 tag team of the year and me and you both like when we talked about it on the podcast we're pretty both clear like violence is forever is the team we talked about some other teams but i did get dms from people that were like what about the workhorsemen you know and it didn't i don't think it crossed either of our mind to even talk about it uh when we were talking about tag team of the year but like there is there's an argument there. And I think a lot of people really did like the workhorsemen. So the idea that you've got Anthony Henry out here talking, talking in a way that sounds like he's like taking a step back, but also talking in a way that sounds like he's like moving forward in something who knows. And JD Drake has just been silent the whole time. So it's like, what the, what are you, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> like what's, right. where's the next move for both of them. So him coming into this match, it's very easy to think like, well, why am I, why is he going to come into action and job to, some nobody like and not to say that about manders no, hold on yeah put you gotta call put you can put this timestamp down yeah, too yeah,
like where you at. I'm probably in the I'll probably I'll probably be in the basement. All right, sorry about that. You can get back All into right, it. Yeah, no um, but yeah, like it's pretty easy for someone like JD Drake to come in here and and not want to be just fed to some nobody. Not to say that Manders is a nobody, but he's not. To me and you, I think we're we're seeing him as a guy who's about to break out. He had a G, GCW shot for sure. So not like Nolan Edwards, where I was like, I wasn't sure, but he did. Um, he's had a lot of you know promising stuff. He's Coming through as a guy, people people really like yeah. him. People really really like this guy. He showed up and beyond, and he wasn't just treated like nothing. He wasn't just an Ulcerand. He was like, he had some a connection to in some way feuding with the IWTV champion. Um, and coming out of this match, he feels like a guy who could be in the championship mix in any promotion, especially action here. So, JD Drake with all the questions swirling around and everything that's going on, it didn't necessarily feel like yeah like you said like he's definitely going to job to someone like manders here and not even just that he's gonna lose to him but that he's gonna do so much to put him over which he does like he goes out of his way to make manders look like a million bucks and manders looks great comes out with this with a win looks fantastic squeaky clean big badass brawling kind of hoss fight i love i love when people make stuff like you know, they mix in their their trademark stuff, and one thing that stood out to me that I really loved was, uh, you know, Drake likes to do the the on the floor bounce the guy off the ropes thing where he throws him up onto the apron and bounces him off the ropes to hit the forearm, and he he yeah. does that here with Manders running around the ring, like Manders coming around the ring with his spot and he throws him up into it. So I I really liked that because it's like playing off of both guys' signature spots. I that's the kind of stuff that in my head I I predict when I think about people, but half the time it doesn't deliver. Here it does. Um, follow that up with a uh, local hero for me, a local legend for me, a guy who, you know, this is very, you know, petty to even bring up, but I saw fucking him post about wanting to have a match with Warhorse, and I, someone responded to it saying, who the fuck are you to be, boy? <laughs> and I'm just like, you have to leave. Oh, that's that. That's you have to just retire from wrestling fandom. I know that you're obviously just a new fan because you have no fucking clue who you're talking to, but you have to just give it up already. You can't continue on because you're just always going to be remembered as the asshole who doesn't know who the fuck B-Boy is. Um, and he comes out here against a guy who, this is what I was talking about earlier, Diamond in the Rough, who's starting to become more than yeah. just that, in Benjamin Carden, Carter, who just amazing underdog babyface who can also hit some really killer spots and yeah b-boy i mean b-boy is b-boy like, this 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 is fantastic this yeah. is a fantastic match uh you know our pal dylan was really was really uh hyping up that bobby flag over his chris Daly match was which was really good i think this is a lot better oh, yeah. than that personally um benjamin carter i am super high on i was Really high on him in the in the first in the first the first time I saw him, I remember just going like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" <laughs> and um, like, ever, like it's just since then I've just wanted to see more of him. And he's a guy that I just I have the utmost confidence can deliver with anyone they give him to. And they gave this guy a shot and they gave him B boy and just holy shit did they knock it out of the park yeah. here! I was over the moon about it. 
ecstatic about it. Fantastic match. One of one of the best uh, action matches I've ever seen. I'm not sure if I'm gonna say it's like the like the best because I think AC Mack versus a uh, Austin Theory probably still holds that place for me. But just I, I was I was blown away by this. And yeah, Benjamin Carter. He isn't just uh, passing in the night. Oh, he can do oh he can do flips. So we're gonna book him. Um, on GCW Spring Break versus like Blake Christian or Jordan Oliver kind of guy. Like this is a real talented guy with substance, and he I, he's he, there, there's no way he doesn't get shots. There's no way he he has to. Yeah. He's way too talented, way too good at everything. And like I said, he can do all that stuff, but then there's substance to him. And I I think I think he's incredible, and I think B Boy gave him so much considering like even like even if this was a was a big shot for Benjamin Carter who has like not done a, a fucking thing in professional wrestling B-Boy felt like he knew this guy's talent level and didn't, and didn't try to eat this dude up at all give him enough as to where like it felt like like beating B-Boy felt like a real legitimate crowning moment for for this guy and yeah I, I can't say no I can't say enough good words about it yeah well thing is like I said I I know B-Boy since I was a fucking child, basically, I've been watching B-Boy. Growing up in Southern California, there's no way that I wasn't going to be exposed to B-Boy. I, and I don't know him personally. I've had maybe three conversations with him hanging out, you know, back when I used to smoke cigarettes, basically. Because he'd be outside smoking. And then since I've stopped smoking, I, I don't have as many cool conversations with wrestlers like I used to. But, here's the thing. B-Boy can make you look like a million bucks while eating you up because he's that fucking good. B-Boy can also yeah. do a match like this where... An underrated part of B-Boy is how great of a seller he really is because he doesn't always sell. <laughs> like, he really doesn't. Sometimes he goes out there and he just fucking dominates people. He's, he's kind of like the like the platonic ideal, uh, ideal of what people want Hideki Suzuki right. to be. Where it's like, oh, his selling is actually really special. But then it's like, when you watch Hideki sell, he's not actually good enough at selling to make you feel, like, feel that right. way. It's where, like, then you actually watch B-Boy do this. It's like, he's actually so good at selling so when like someone like Daniel Makabe is working on his arm and has him so vulnerable you're like oh my god this Daniel this Daniel Makabe guy must be for right. real and that's the kind of thing that he can do because he doesn't always sell this much but when he does sell he is fucking him he's something else the way that he does the stumble selling like I think I would believe that B-Boy could do a match where he would be he could do this level of match and get somebody over with his selling and literally not take a bump because his stumble selling, I believe. Yeah, because yeah, I, I believe. Yeah, because <laughs> his stumble selling is amazing. The way that he can like play off of all of that and like do the punch drunk thing and all of that, like he can do that on his feet and really put this shit over. So I'm just like, B boy doesn't even have to take a bump and he could sell his ass off for you. But in this match, he worked his ass off and this crowd, they gave it to him because at the end of the match, the crowd gave him, gives him a standing ovation which they earned. Benjamin Carter, Benjamin Carter clearly earned it, and I think that. Benjamin Carter has a has a WrestleMania weekend ahead of him because he's already, I think he's announced at least a couple bookings. He's gonna be there for WrestleMania weekend here, and like, this is gonna be it. This guy, I think, after this WrestleMania weekend, people are gonna know who the fuck Benjamin Carter is, and that's gonna be it for us. Like, we're just gonna have to stop seeing his <laughs> matches for a while. But, but this is the start of it, and I hope that, I hope that people recognize that in a couple months when like people are talking about Benjamin Carter. I hope that they recognize that. B-Boy set him up because B-Boy right here made him, definitely gave him a confidence boost that I think makes him feel like he's at that level. And I think that B-Boy is the elder statesman kind of guy who you can believe can like make someone, you know, and can really make ben, a star. 
Benjamin Benjamin Carter is special, man. Like, yeah. and I and I don't I don't say that lightly. He he is genuinely special, and I don't know what that what that's going to turn into for him. I don't know what kind of opportunities that's going to lead to him getting, but that is a really really talented guy, man. And I, I like I said, you talk about Mania Weekend, and if there's someone that I hope is like get something that could take them to another level. Like other than like some obvious some, some obvious people that yeah. Benjamin Carter is one of those guys where like please like I I understand like this new wave infatuation of like like the like the newer the newer athletic spot guys but like I'd much rather see Benjamin Carter versus Will Ospreay than fucking yes. Will Ospreay versus Blake Christian. Yeah. You know who Benjamin Carter kind of reminds me of, and I just thought about it right now is he's like he's a little bit taller, Chris Saban. Yeah, yeah, damn, that's 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 pretty good. Yeah, because he's just he's good at everything, and he'll get noticed for his spots. But really, like his selling and his like connection to the crowd is probably what's gonna. Be yeah, like his like like a, a super earnest and genuine connection yeah. when he's selling and everything. And he's probably he could probably be a really good heel yeah. too. Oh yeah, I bet he I bet he definitely could. But yeah, so now we get to the main event of the evening, um, which is very interesting because. I don't know how I don't know if we've talked about Matt Sells at all, um, but I do remember that Pete was a big fan of Matt Sells, and I think that he's got something there. But he's going up against a guy who I think that like it's impossible to have a bad match with, especially in a crowd like Action, where the the crowd is going to be in going to be invested in in wrestlers who invest in them, which is a weird thing to I guess kind of say. I don't know, but like. If there's any wrestler who I think really puts a lot of effort into the crowd, it's it's Eric Royal. Like he he gives the crowd a show no matter what. And he's going up against another guy who's very over and the crowd definitely gets into. Might not be the best wrestler on the planet, but who the fuck is, right? Not everybody could be Zack Sabre Jr. Um so you got two big personality guys, but you've also got a guy who I think is like probably one of the best wrestlers on the, in the world like you want to talk about underrated underappreciated whatever you want to say like eric royal is at the top of that list no matter what going up against uh, man, man how how his career how his career went is criminal yes. but you yeah. Know, like, yeah so yeah so no i mean get into it quentin let's talk about this match what did you think coming out of this match i mean like this is eric royal's bread and butter for how good Eric Royal can be, um, in like uh, Weaver Cup setting, where him and um, God, what the fuck, yeah, fucking Nick, fucking Nick Justice, <laughs> can have a really, really good mat, mat based match, or what Eric, what Eric can do versus versus Fred Yehi and all that kind of stuff. Like for all that, that's really great about him and his run as the as like the as the ace of Nova Pro and all that. Eric's bread and butter is this old school territory shit. And whether it's like, you know, like the stuff that he did with Snooty Fox or uh, the false count or or the no DQ match or false count anywhere. I forgot what what the gimmick was or step was with Fred Yehi in the gymnasium. And now here back here with cells, like this is very much Eric Royal's wheelhouse. Yeah. For nerds like me, that's not nerds like me and you. We love Eric Royal in basically any setting, but what Eric Royal seems to be the best at is snatching your grandmother's wig. Like that is what he is so good at. Yeah, and like and like that might not be like my thing. That might be the thing that grabs um our our, our pal Brock more. That might be the thing that grabs like the Saguda Kaida guys more. But he's really fucking good at that. 
he's really good at this old school um, inciting a riot, uh, inciting a riot, damn near reaction from these big um, emotive, uh, uh, big face heel dynamic brawls. And, you know, I think Matt Sells is probably worse than Snooty Fox was with Snooty Fox and, uh, and Eric Royal having their matches, but I don't think that doesn't not a slight towards Matt South. I don't think he's a bad wrestler, but I think it just says so much about Eric and the way he led the way, the kind of environment he creates that this guy and, and, and Matt sells who has no wins in action history, like literally no wins has not won at any point in this, in this company's history. And that like he creates this real tangible atmosphere for the from for the for the moment, and I'll give Matt Sells credit here. He's very charismatic, very likable, very over, and he plays his part well here. But Eric being his mountain to climb, uh, being so being be, it, it being such a good feeling when Eric Royal eventually eats crow. It's Eric Eric Royal is so great, and like I said, it's criminal how his career went after it looking like Eric Royal was was pegged to be one of those next guys that got a, that got some chances, and then just look literally all of his environment just yeah. crumbled where he where he was working yeah it's it's such a fucking nightmare that a guy of his caliber is going to go down in history as you know whatever and historically there's plenty of examples of, of stuff like this and there's probably even more examples of guys like this that we don't even know about but it's like the comparison right. that you make is like a buddy rose or something right and it's like at least Buddy Rose got this like awesome run in WWE. At least at some point where he made some money and he you know had matches in. WWE. Or like or like at least, at least Buddy Rose got AWA for a short right. bit. And it's like you can make those arguments, but like there's probably guys that were just that good that like the thing is we didn't get the footage even at all that would be still at the same level of Eric Royal where it's just like they're so fucking talented, they're so good, and they deserve so much better than what they got. But you don't even know their name historically. You don't even they didn't even exist in history because of like just the lack of footage, the lack of people ever talking about them. And the thing is whatever happens with Eric. And I think that me and you both think the world of him and, and, and hopefully something can still happen again. We talked about it earlier with O'Shea Edwards, but fuck, I mean, why would, why would at this point, why would nobody even know who he is and sign him? I mean, someone really should open their fucking eyes and see what you can have here because there's very few people who can pull this off. And there's anybody who could appreciate what Eric Royal is good at, you would think that Cody Rhodes would fucking get it because he basically Cody does the other side of this. Cody is so good at doing the babyface side of the same thing, like the Dusty Rhodes thing. So, oh, Eric versus Cody. Eric could you versus Cody. Fucking imagine? <laughs> could you Christ. imagine the way that like a big crowd? Because you know the AEW big ass crowds, how nuts they would go for something like that. Like it would be. Either way, the the stuff that he how good Eric Royal is. It's like, it's so hard to even want to talk about the minutia of the match. But one thing I noticed is Eric has like created this game where he works on the midsection. He does the, like the diving body blocks with his chest that obviously he's done for a long time. But when I, when he was doing the shoulder tackles in the corner and the way that he continues to drive his feet, you know, and it's just, no one fucking does that. No one puts that kind of effort in, to something as stupid as, like, a shoulder block in the corner. But Eric Royal, he fucking puts so much effort into everything he does. When it comes to... We talked about it. We have been talking about it. The way that he makes the crowd get into it is 
phenomenal and it's otherworldly and almost no one can do that can do what he does and there's a reason why that's what he focuses on because he is probably the best in the world when it comes to that people want to continue to vote for you know uh cesaro as the underrated wrestler of the year and that's fine i get it he definitely deserved but cesaro at the end of this decade at the end of the next couple years is going to be a millionaire if he was smart with his money and just put the money that he's been making from wwe into the bank and unfortunately eric royal is never probably going to have a million dollars in his bank at any point ever in his life um so if you want to talk about underappreciated, underrated, like, you know, we don't we don't need to get into this conversation. Eric Royal is the guy that like more and more people should fucking be talking about and people should be saying something about. But even on top of just how good he is at getting the crowd into everything to then say that he can have phenomenal technical showings with someone like, uh, you know, Trevor Lee, which we've seen historically probably Trevor Lee's best opponent really like they've had so many great matches with each other that I don't think that at this point maybe at some point maybe that things will change now that Trevor is in WWE and maybe moving forward he'll at some point like you you could you, you could argue E.J. High's best yeah, opponent you could say Frey High's best opponent like and then from there like how many people have had amazing fucking series of matches like um Logan Easton LaRue he got me thinking Logan Easton LaRue was a great wrestler like He's so fucking good, and he has so many great matches where he tells these long-term stories with people and gets the crowd into everything. But it's not just—it's not just basic, boring—you know, boring for you watching it on tape, getting the crowd invested stuff. It's also, like I said, like the attention to detail when it comes to the minutia of stuff in the ring. The way—the way that he can have—he can work with a technical wrestler, and he can go hold for hold. He can also like go fast pace he can do everything and makes everything feel legit and then the again the, the the match is over the crowd explodes everything goes nutty the fucking baby face wins everyone loves it and it's this huge deal and it's all based off of the back of of you know eric royal building this huge story he loses the matches and he leaves and then it's like even after this Fred Yehai versus Eric Royal for the third or fourth time in action wrestling. You tell me that wouldn't be the most heated match in the company still. He can lose this match and he loses no fucking heat. And you're still excited yeah. to see him wrestle anyone moving forward. Because he could because he's the heel you want to see yes. lose. He's the guy where you he loses and then you want to come back and be like, You tapped out, you tapped right. out, or you uh, or you lost, like and, and all of that kind of stuff. He's the guy that you still want to see so you can tell him how, how big of a shit eater yes. he is. You wanna to continue to yeah, again, see him lose again, you wanna talk shit to him, you wanna because you know that as soon as you start talking shit, he's gonna have the perfect thing to say back to you. Because he's just he's so good. He's yeah, it's and maybe it's underappreciated how much of the issues with this is like, you know, institutional racism or whatever. But either way, the guy is fucking phenomenal. Like, yeah. All right. I think, the, I think that's it for us, though. I think we uh, perfectly, uh, perfectly encapsulated like a hey, Eric Royal probably, you know, should be making millions of dollars doing this thing. But, you know, I guess I guess I guess that's the wrestling business yeah. and the institutional racism you, you brought up there. But, I try not to. Right. I try anything, not any... to bring it up every episode, but it seems to always come up. I think. I think the key. I think the key. The key buzzwords of this podcast are subversion and institutional <laughs> yes. racism. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, I think. That's, I think that's it for us. Yeah, though, that's right? it for me. Um, you know, listen next week, Quentin. Close it out.
uh, go ahead and follow us at QNTR on Twitter. Thank you to listening to this episode, and we're, we're back for real this time. Where you know, no more hiatuses, no more week and a half breaks or whatever. And, you know, if anything does pop up, obviously you guys will know. But uh, thanks for listening.